behind the back, wrap around, and climbing the ladder is Dante Hall. Sexton. Step back. Good! Patty at three. Oh, he's a flamethrower! What a shot! 6-3. It's good! It's good! It's good! Colin Sexton made the floater! They'll review it! But oh mercy! Colin Sexton may have saved the season! Tigers set to trigger it in. Smart gets it into Watford. Threw it away! He'll run it down in the backcourt. He will take it to the top of the arc. Watford three at the buzzer blocked by Herb. The putback, no! The buzzer sounds! And Bama hangs on! Oh my goodness! Welcome in, everyone. Today is January 19th, 2023, and you are listening to episode 31 of the Double Dribble Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Harper, and join with me are long-lost co-host Matthew Landry in the flesh has graced us with his presence finally since no first time since November. And some big news on the Double Dribble Podcast is we are adding another host onto the onto the podcast, Jackson Peebles. If you recognize the last name, he is the brother of Liberty superstar Brody Peebles. Guys, I'm glad to have two people on the podcast with me. It gets very lonesome for 30 minutes talking and listening to myself, and I know everybody is glad that there's other people to listen to. So how are y'all doing? Matt, I'll start with you. It's been a long time, my friend. What have you been up to? Yeah, no, it's good to be back. Um just been busy with school and life stuff um, between working on the NBA and the holidays and a lot of family trips, um, anniversary trips. So it's been a little bit of a busy season in life, but I'm glad to be back into the swing of things and back into recording the pod. Jackson, it's been a long time. How's everything with you? Uh, good to have you on. Yeah, it's good to be back on a podcast and talking about Alabama basketball and it's a fun team to talk about and was happy to be able to join you guys and talk to two of my good friends and talk about a Alabama basketball team that just may be the best team in the country. I definitely think that they are right now. Um, just by looking at some of the top teams, absolutely. And it will kind of dive deeper into some of the recent games that we've, um, or Alabama has, has played. They're 6-0 and in the SEC right now. So obviously it's going to be everything positive. Um, that we'll be talking about, but really, I'll start with you, Matt. Looking back, you know, the last since the last podcast I recorded, um, just came off a huge win at Kentucky, and you knew that probably the toughest game that they they're going to face early on in the SEC was going to be at Arkansas. At the time, they were ranked number fifteen. Um, you know, they're very talented at Bud Walton. They're very, very good. So. They ended up pulling off an 84-69 victory, and it was a lot closer than the final score. It, it really ballooned um, late in that game. But what were a couple of takeaways that you had from the Arkansas game um, that kind of led them to victory on the road? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you touched on it. That, that was whenever you look at the early slate of the SEC schedule. The two games you had marked on there were home at Kentucky and then traveling to Bud Walton. Um, on January 11th. And even without Nick Smith and Trevon Brazil, I know they've struggled, especially on the offensive end. 
but it's a whole different thing whenever you're playing at Bud Walton and arguably their biggest home game of the year. They brought out the new jerseys. They did the stripe out. They did everything they needed to do to get the crowd as rowdy as possible. Um, and they did as good of a job on Brandon Miller as they possibly could have done. And despite that, Alabama still walks away with the double-digit victory. And I know that Jordan had tweeted out some videos about what Coach Oates had done to get Brandon really involved in that second half. I think some of my key takeaways – not even just from the second half, but if you go back and rewatch that first half, the way they were using Brandon was incredibly smart whenever you're playing against a team playing no touch. So Devo is not letting Brandon get that ball for anything. So Brandon's using himself as a screener, setting guys up, getting open. He knows that Devo can't help off him. So he'll go and sag into a corner or deep into the wing. It's four on four scenarios with Javon Quinterly or Mark Sears or Jaden Bradley getting downhill at that point, putting a lot of pressure on the rim. Come the second half, you're doing a lot of handoff actions for Brandon to be able to get the ball, get into his spots, or attack the rim to draw fouls. So I thought my main takeaway with it was that Oates just completely out-schemed Musselman in his own house. And in a game where it looked like maybe Musselman had the upper hand early, Oates completely countered everything that he wanted to do defensively in that second half, which was really encouraging to see. Yeah, Jackson, just kind of – Matt hit the nail on the head is that Nate Oates really out-schemed Musselman. But from your vantage point of watching the game kind of progress, it was really nip and tuck most of the game. And then kind of what happened at the end of the game that really pushed Alabama over the edge and really buried Arkansas where they couldn't come back. Yeah, I think it was a like a two-point Alabama lead um, like right before um, – the under four on the other side. Um, and then Clowney hit a big three in the corner. Um, and then they kind of ran, um, just got a little flex action for Brandon. Um, he got a three off of a handoff, nailed it. Like, just like a side, he is unbelievable already at shooting off of screens. Like I know NBA scouts are salivating over a lot of the things that he's doing, um, but just his ability to, get his body turned and um, aim towards the rim. Like he's so good off of so many different screening actions and it's just fun to see how Alabama uses him in so many different ways. Um, but he hit that three and then he came down and kind of just got a little pitch back and transition, hit another one. And it was, the game was over in a split second. I think it was like a nine, nine Oh run and less than a minute um, and just totally quieted the crowd and, took Arkansas out of the game. So it just kind of shows you that, you know, one, Alabama didn't need Brandon Miller to score in the first half. Like, he didn't take a shot. Um, and Alabama was either ahead or um, – I can't remember what the score was at half, but it was close. And then in the second half, like, he just had that scoring burst and totally um, flipped the game on its head. So just kind of shows you, like – I mean, Mark Sears was huge in the game. Um, they have so many different – um guys you know the the guard depth is crazy um and so you just see a guy like Sears like he kind of just took advantage of you know all the attention that was going on to Brandon he was just attacking the rim um getting whatever he wanted in the paint so they just have so many guys that can do it on any given night and then obviously Brandon is the closer and he showed that in the final minutes in Fayetteville yeah you you mentioned again on the the little handoff at the top um 
I think Nate Oates has really found something that works right there. Um, you mentioned the flex action as well. When when teams and they're they're going to try. Arkansas had a lot more length and athleticism. You know, Debo Davis did a great job on him. I thought in the first half, really face guarding, playing no touch. Um, but I think what they went back and really discussed at halftime was we got to get Brandon Miller in the middle of the paint to where you're just not throwing him off in a corner and just saying let's play four on four, which they're fine with too because they'll you know they can out talent you. Um, they can out-talent you easily um, playing four-on-four. But getting Brandon in the middle makes it really tough to play no-touch because you got traffic, you got congestion, and they really found something with that little handoff um, at the top because Bidiaco is so large that all he has to do is run behind, and if they make that quick decision of going under that, which Arkansas did a couple times, Brandon Miller's going to make you pay. And he did. He ended up with 14 points after not even taking a shot attempt in the first half. Um, but the one bright um, players, Noah Clowney had 15. Mark Sears went 10 for 10 from the free throw at the line. You love to see that. Um, and finished with 26. But I thought Alabama, as well as they played offensively at the end of the game, I thought their defense was just as good. Um, they really pressured Arkansas, forced them into a lot of tough shots, tough mid-range shots. They only took 10 three-pointers, um, which isn't a strength of theirs, but they still only made two. Um, but going from 33-33 at half to winning by 15 on the road at Arkansas is always a big win um, for the Crimson Tide to move to 4-0 in conference play. The next this past Saturday, Alabama came back home to face LSU. Um, there's really nothing negative to say about this game at all. Alabama won 106 to 66. Um, I mean, it was a three-point barrage from the beginning. It was the Brandon Miller show, um, finished with 31 points, nine rebounds. And really from the beginning, I believe he hit, you know, three of his first four. And once once he sees a couple go in, I mean, it's lights out from that point. He finished seven of eleven from three with 31 points. And really, you didn't need anything else from anybody else. Um, I think at one point, Brandon Miller was outscored in LSU by himself in the first half. Um, so, Matt, I'll kind of throw it back to you. You know, we, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this game um, because there's really not a whole lot to talk about except Brandon Miller's amazing. Um, but <laughs> anything stand out to you watching that game besides Brandon Miller? No, I mean, I think the main thing is Brandon Miller. I mean, that was the most effortless effortless 31 I've ever seen, you know, at the collegiate level, especially playing for Alabama. Um, I mean, he just got to his spots and LSU had the bold strategy of continuing to leave him open. Um, and he's going to make you pay no matter who you are or what you're ranked or where you're at. If you're leaving him open, he's too good of a shooter to do that. And, you know, it, it like Jackson talked about earlier, NBA scouts have to be salivating watching games like this whenever you're just seeing him find holes in what LSU wanted to do, whether it was a matchup zone or whether it was staying man-to-man and just finding ways to get open on the three-point line. Um, even if he is 20 years old, NBA scouts are going to absolutely love this guy and what he's going to bring to an NBA team. And it was on full display last Saturday. And, I mean, there there really wasn't a whole lot to be negative about, like you said. Um, you know, maybe we got a little too trigger-happy in the second half from three, but it's hard not to whenever you hit. 16 or whatever it was in the first half um but it was a really enjoyable game to watch and 
beating one of your rivals by 40 points is something that you'll always take positives away from. Yeah, and if I could just add to just kind of diving into um, LSU, like, yeah, they, they kind of came into SEC play not really – obviously they had not seen a team like Alabama, um, but they kind of struggled, limped, limped into the game, um, had lost three straight. They've now lost five straight. Um, but you look at Alabama making 23s. Um, but looking at LSU, you know, they're 17th in the country in um, three-point defense. You know, their opponents are only shooting 29%, um, but they have no rim protection. Um, and they can't defend the paint. And so Alabama was just getting into the paint at will. And when that's happening, um, you know, that they shot um, a crazy percentage um, from two. Alabama did 15 for 22 on two-pointers. And once they're getting into the paint like that, they're just spraying out to shooters. And if they're having a good night, um, they're totally unstoppable. So if you can't guard the dribble and you can't defend the rim um, and you're having to overhelp all night, Alabama's going to kill you because they've got Miller and Sears and Clowney and Griffin and just all kinds of guys, you know, spread around that are hitting shots. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it was, it was fun to watch. I mean, when Quinterly, I feel like when Quinterly is hitting from three, that kind of just when, you know, um, you don't have a chance. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of this team is, you know, they can kind of just ride Quinterly when he's playing well, when he's making shots and, you know, making good decisions out of ball screens. And if he's not and he's having an off night, then you've got Jaden Bradley, you've got Mark Sears, you know, you've got other guys that can can run the show. So it was just kind of like a, a master class of Alabama, just everything that they are and um, everything that makes them so good. Yeah, you mentioned Javon Quinterly, and he's he's really only been averaging 15 minutes a game, I believe, in SEC play. It's 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 been a pretty low number for him, but – I feel like Alabama's really hit their stride, um, and I hate to say it, after Namari Burnett went out, um, they've really hit their stride offensively because they're not turning the ball over as much. Um, they had a lot of turnovers, I believe, against Mississippi State. I feel like they had 17 or 18 that game. And then since then, I believe they've averaged around 10 or less um, in SEC play. And I feel like having two point guards um, on the floor at all times mainly – um, has really helped that. And you can play Bidiaco and Clowney at the same time with those two guys out there and have Miller and have extreme length um, on the perimeter and inside. So that's really opened things up. And you, you take one point guard out and put in another elite um, level talent, Javon Quinterly. It only makes this team deeper. Um, but one point on LSU I thought was interesting was when, when after this game on Ken Palm, I believe they fell 19 spots on adjusted defense after this one game alone. That's a huge number, which you give up 106 points and um, 23s on 54 attempts. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty incredible, incredibly bad defense. Um, just leaving Brandon Miller and guys up wide open like that, helping off way too much. Um, and that kind of brings us to, you know, Wednesday night's game or Tuesday night's game, I'm sorry, against Vanderbilt on the road, which is always a tricky game for Alabama, even though they've won the past two. To, I think this is makes what, three in a row now um, in Memorial Coliseum. Used to be a house of horrors, but they've kind of slayed that demon, seems like. But, you know, Alabama got off to a really quick start. I believe started out up 12 to four. Brandon Miller came out with an emphatic dunk. 
Bidiaco took it from the top of the key down and laid it up with touch. Like you just thought it was going to be another cakewalk night for Alabama with that happening. But Vanderbilt, pesky, hit some threes, made a run. They actually led in the game for 15 seconds. Um, it was a brief, brief stint. But Alabama ended up coming away with a 78-66 victory where Brandon Miller scored 30 points again, um, back-to-back 30-point knots, um, which he's been on an incredible run so far in the SEC. By far probably the SEC player of the year right now based on Alabama's record and how he's performing. For sure the freshman of the year um, and in contention with, you know, first-team All-America as well. Um Matt, I kind of want to throw it to you and ask you this. Um, when Brandon Miller is not only putting up highlight dunks, not only – I mean, he's wide open, he's going to knock it down. That On the ghost screen at the end of the first half was a brilliant yeah. play call because they were overcommitting bad. And you saw it um, when I, – I can't remember um, the guy's name. I think it's Dort. Um, really overcommitted mm-hmm. on that screen, thinking that he was going to come off of it. But he goes screened off wide open. I mean, you, you would think he had hit it in his sleep but didn't. But mm-hmm. when everything's working like that, like, how do you change up? Like, do you just keep running the same thing until they stop it for Brandon? Um, I mean, I know Brandon's not a selfish player, but at some point you just have to run everything through him, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of hard not to. Um, and it's not a knock on the rest of Alabama's players. Alabama's surrounded by – or Brandon Miller's surrounded by players at Alabama that complement him so well. And I think the best option is to continue to run things through him. I mean, he's back-to-back 30-point games. It's easy to say that coming off this run that he's on in SEC play where he's on an absolute tear. But the thing is, if teams want to start adjusting their defense even more so to hyper-focus on him, then you're going to have Brandon, maybe they run him off the line. He's going to start driving. He's really improved as a finisher um, in SEC play. If you start to collapse on just Brandon, then you're going to have Mark Sears open for a kickout, JQ, um, Namari Burnett once he comes back, and Clowney, a variety of guys who can punish you if you're going to try to hyper-focus on Brandon that, at that point. So I think continuing to run the offense through him it opens up things for other guys because he is a willing and such an incredible passer. But at the same time, when he's scoring like this, he's going to get his consistently. Um, and whenever the rest of the guys around him are playing at this high of a level, it's just a well-oiled machine that Nate Oates is just exploiting defenses with by running offenses through him. Yeah. Jackson, just kind of quickly touch on what you saw in that game and kind of what, uh, um, Anything that really stood out to you um, throughout the game? Yeah, I think um, one thing for on Vandy's side, they were really missing Liam Robbins. I mean, he's their highest usage player um, offensively and then defensively, third in the country in block percentage. Um, so, I mean, he's their rim protector. They kind of run a lot of things in offense through him. So, without him, they kind of looked a little lost. Um, and that's to be expected. But on Alabama's side, you know, it's just – to me, it was just them going in there and taking care of business on a team that they should beat on the road. I mean, um, it's kind of cool on TV to hear so many Alabama fans there. Um, did not feel like a road game at all, but still, I mean, it's a solid team that had just beaten Arkansas by double digits um, and put 97 on Arkansas. Um, so I really liked Alabama's defensive performance and 
um, just the way that they kind of went in there and took care of business. Um, like you guys were talking about, Miller was incredible again, kind of carried the load offensively. I think he got a nice, um, just kind of shows you the depth of the team, you know, Bradley and Gurley being second on the team in scoring um, for the game with 12 points apiece. You know, Gurley's a guy that you can really forget about sometimes, but it's such a luxury to have, uh, you know, a guy who's basically started at, you know, one of the better mid-majors in the country um, for two or three years and then came to Alabama um, just willing to take that role off the bench. And he's a perfect stretch four for the system. He knows he knows how to play. He's got a great basketball IQ. Um, and he can defend and rebound. And, you know, just have a guy like that come off the bench, get you 12 in a road game like that. And then Bradley, who I think has just been getting better and better um, every single game. Um, he's just – he's really taken off. He's getting some more confidence um, on the offensive end of the floor. He's – He's a great distributor, but I just I think he's going to be continue to come on as a scorer for Alabama down the stretch. Um, the way that he's been able to get to the rim, you know, he's six for nine from two in this game. Um, just the way that he's been able to get to the rim and continue to limit his turnovers, um, I think he'll be a big piece um, for Alabama down the stretch too. And he had twelve points, but it's always an easy looking twelve points. Like he always goes in and like effortless. He he's making really hard contested twos at the rim, getting hit, not getting foul calls half the time. But he really finishes well early on. Him and Brandon both were very soft around the rim. Really got blocked a lot. Uh, wasn't finishing through contact. You could really see them as freshmen early on um, not doing that because it's typically given to them at a high school level because they're just they're bigger, they're more athletic. Um, but against guys at their level or even higher, they had to adjust, and they've adjusted very well. Um, and that's why their two percentage and um, around the rim percentage has shot up dramatically. Um, but yeah, Jaden Bradley's become a great four general. I believe he had a two to one turn assist to turnover ratio um, in SEC play so far. So he's he's been the four general that you really needed and allowed Mark Sears to play off ball. Uh, Mark or Mark Sears is a really good catch and shoot guy, and if you allow that to happen, then it's it's only lights out uh, for the other team. Even though Mark Sears did have probably his worst game in an Alabama uniform this game, shot one for five, um, but it it was an all around great performance for Alabama. Really coasted. They were up by twenty three at one time. Things got kind of crazy there at the end, um, but Alabama had this in hand the whole time. Um, even with kind of the late game heroics by, by Vanderbilt and Alabama kind of just taking the foot off the gas, which you want to see kind of improved. And I know NATO said that as well um, in previous games. So obviously after a big win at Vanderbilt, um, Alabama started off 6-0 and in the SEC in the, for the first time since I believe, what was it? When was the last time? Do you all know? I want to say it was like um, – I saw the stat and I cannot remember. I meant to write it down. I believe it was like the first time since – Was it like 76 or something like that? Yeah, it was either the 70s or 80s. It's been a long time um, since Alabama started off this well in SEC play. Um, but now they, they kind of hit the easy stretch. I, I, I hate to say easy because, you know, SEC is weird – they see SEC seems down this year, but you know, anything can happen on the road, especially going to 
you know, Columbia, Missouri to face Missouri, a Missouri team that plays a similar style to Alabama is going to be, you know, a fun watch, uh, probably very up and down. And a lot of threes made, or a lot of threes, hopefully made by Alabama, but a, a lot of threes taken by both teams. Um, but going on the road to Missouri, Missouri just coming off a very controversial, very ugly win against Arkansas, where Missouri was down by 10, I think 10 or 11 points in the second half. And Arkansas blew yet another late second half lead, double digit lead. Um, and really free throws and fouls were the point of conversation with this game. But overall, you know, Missouri's been kind of on the downturn. They needed this win to kind of right the ship, um, to kind of get back in the right direction in the SEC. They had lost at AM and at Florida before that. <laughs> Barely beat Vandy at home. Like it's it's been ugly for them the past, you know, three to four weeks um, since their first big win against Kentucky. Now they really get to prove if they are for real this Saturday against Alabama. And they they better come ready to shoot and they better make majority of their threes if they want to hang. Um, but Jackson, I'll kind of kick it over to you for this one. Um, what are you looking for matchup wise? Because we know Kobe Brown is their best player. Huntsville native. We we know that. They, he always does well against Alabama. Is he kind of your the player that Alabama really needs to keep in containment um, to pull off a win in, in Columbia? Yeah, and I think that they'll be able to do that. I mean, they've got so many different guys that they can throw at him. Um, and the way that Alabama defends the rim, I mean, Kobe can step out and shoot it, um, but he just doesn't do it at a high volume. Um, I think he's 40, 40% on the year. Um, but like I said, he's just not – um, a high volume three point shooter. So he's he's looking to get into the paint and the way that Alabama has been defending um, the rim and defending in the paint, um, you know, they can throw Clowney at him. They can, you know, Betty Yako is going to be there. Um, you know, I think Brandon can hold his own against him. Um, I think you're going to have to have the supporting cast from Missouri hit shots, like you said. Um, you know, stylistically, I think the way that Missouri plays, um, they want to get out and run. Um, you know, they're really good at the rim. And I think Kobe's a big part of that, um, you know, but defensively, they really, one, they can't rebound. Um, so, I mean, they're 357th and, um, you know, giving up offensive rebounds. And we know how good Alabama has been at that. Um, so I think that it, the formula to me for, um, it, it kind of looks like one of those games where if things kind of go right for Alabama at the start, they could really run Missouri off the court. Um, just the way that the, the way that the two teams match up. I mean, Missouri cannot defend. Um, they're not going to be able to stay in front of anybody. Um, they really rely on forcing turnovers. That's the one thing that they do defensively. Um, so I think if Alabama takes care of the ball, I just don't see a path to Missouri winning the game. Um, and if Alabama's hitting shots, then, I don't see how Missouri keeps it in, within single digits. So I think it's just – it's not a great matchup for Mizzou. They're going to have to play out of their minds offensively. Um, this, Like I said, the supporting cast is going to have to hit shots. Um, and I just I just feel like uh, Alabama is going to be able to get whatever they want. Um, and as long as their defense shows up, um, they should be okay. Um, but I'm, I've been really impressed with this Mizzou team. Um, you know, in Gates' first year, um, they're really fun. 
um, the roster is kind of thrown together um, around Kobe, but, you know, I think they're, they've got a bright future. And um, like I said, the way they play is really fun. And um, to be as good as they have been offensively has been impressive, but I don't think that they're going to be able to guard um, anybody that has the ball for Alabama. Yeah, I agree. And I think you kind of laid out the perfect path for Missouri is that they, they have to force Alabama into turnovers if they're not, and they're pretty good at forcing turnovers, but if they're not going to force Alabama into turnovers, this one can get ugly quick. Like you mentioned, they're awful at keeping teams off the offensive glass. And that's somewhere where Alabama really excels, especially with them shooting as many threes as they do, leads out to a lot of long rebounds that we can capitalize on, especially with the length that Brandon and Noah and Charles prevent whenever present whenever they're on the court together. They also just haven't played a lot of defenses that are as good as Alabama's. They're a really good offense. They're very fun to watch. This will be one of the most watchable games um, on the Gus Johnson index for heat check hoops. Um, this game's going to be really fun. There's going to be a lot of points scored. But I, I, I'm not sure Missouri can hang with Alabama. I'm not sure how efficient they'll be against this defense. Um, like you said, I think we have some guys that we can throw at Kobe and give him some issues. Des Moines Hodge is a really good player for them as well. Um, we can't let him get open looks. Um, and the rest of their cast, you know, Golston, Sean East, uh, Nick Honor, they're a really good team. I'm interested to see if Noah Carter is going to be able to suit up. He didn't play against Arkansas um, in that win for them the other night. Um, so that's something at least to keep an eye on. But I, I think this should be one that Alabama can get out and run early um, and get a win. But Como will always terrify me after the last few years. So I'm never going to walk in to that arena expecting a win. Yeah, Missouri has probably one of the biggest disparities that I've seen in adjusted O and adjusted defense. And they're mm -hmm. sixth in the country in adjusted offense and only 182nd um, in adjusted defense. That's like middle of the pack in the whole 360 some odd NCAA teams. Um, but they, they do play a good pace. They're top 50 in pace. Um, and I was just looking back at their schedule because I forgot how – overall week their non-conference was uh, they're playing they play teams called houston christian and lindenwood um no offense to anybody that goes to those schools or affiliated but like they have one maybe two good wins depending on how kentucky shakes out and they, they beat illinois somehow back in december but you know this is a team that really needs a win on their resume when it comes to March and you know, the crowd's going to be fired up for this game. You know, the players will be fired up. So don't be surprised if they get off to kind of a hot start, hit three of their first four threes or something like that. Um, but Alabama has been there. They've done that. They're not going to face much more tougher adversity than playing at Houston down 15 late in the second half, coming back and winning. There's nothing faces this team, um, but this would be a potential, you know, Quad one win, it would probably stay a quad one win. I don't see Missouri dropping 20 spots over the season um, this year. So that this could be, you know, an under-the-radar great quad one win come the end of the season, and they all count the same. Um, you know, whether it be tier one or tier two quad one, it's still a quad one win. Um, but, yeah, Alabama is really going to have to hit shots this game. They're not going to be able to um, – go four, five, six minutes um, scoring droughts. I know they had a couple four, three-minute scoring droughts against Vanderbilt. They kind of took their foot off the gas. But Missouri can fill it up 
Um, so I think they're going that'll have their attention and really um, come out firing. But I don't I yeah. don't think Missouri can um, can hang and they can't score. Um, they're not going to score eighty plus points on Alabama, and I think that's what it's going to take for them to win. Um, I had yeah, one more one more thing that I noticed. Um, yep. Jordan is you know they're one of the older teams in college basketball, but much like LSU, they outside of Kobe Brown, they don't have a single like guy that was recruited to a high major. Mm. Um, you know, Nick, Nick Honor played um, a couple of seasons at Clemson. Um, and just be forewarned, like if you're an Alabama fan watching this game, he's really going to – my dog's barking. He's really going to make you mad. He's really mm-hmm. going to make you mad because he um, he's just like one of those pesky players. You know, like he's going to get – a ton of steals. He's going to be up in people's jerseys trying to, um, you know, frustrate them. Um, but he's really good at that. But, yeah, I think the talent disparity in this game is, you know, swings heavily in Alabama's favor. Um, you know, much like LSU, this roster is thrown together with, you know, a lot of Gates' guys from Cleveland State and guys from other, mm-hmm. um, you know, Horizon League-type conferences. So, um, they've got guys that can score and can fill it up, like you said, Jordan. But, um I think they're going to be kind of overwhelmed from a talent standpoint. Yeah, that's a great point is that the talent disparity is going to be pretty large. You know, Kobe Brown wasn't, you know, highly, highly recruited out of high school either. Um, And he's really made a name for himself there. And you mentioned Nick Honor. I believe he's the second leading three-point shooter on the team, making 33s um, total um, behind Demoy Hodge. But – um, to kind of circle back what you said about Kobe Brown, he he does not shoot it a lot. I believe he's right around maybe two and a half a game. Um, so he's going to really pound the paint, and that's where Bidiaco has shined all year is defending the paint. Um, I wanted to touch on a couple couple stats that I came across when I was kind of just diving into Alabama's historic start in the SEC, going starting off six and zero. Um, but Alabama, it, it doesn't seem like it because we're all focused on their offense, but Alabama hasn't given up over 70 points in conference play yet in the first six games. That's incredible. Um, most teams average that, and Alabama's or well over that, so Alabama hasn't even given up 70 points. Um, and they've, been, they've won, I believe, by average margin of victory of 21 points. So far. Now, obviously, it can be kind of skewed because of the LSU game being 40, but I mean, it still counts, right? So, an average margin of victory of 21 points and four of those by 15 plus points just shows how dominant they've been. But offensively, Alabama's three point percentage is 38%, which is pretty dang good in SEC play. Um, but they're only giving up an average of 24% too. So when you have a disparity of like that, um, you're going to win a lot of games by a lot of point, like by double digits more than likely. And they're also only giving up 38% from two as well. And that goes to a great credit to Charles Bidiaco and Noah Clowney really stopping other teams post-defense and forcing them to take long 16, 17, 18 footers um, that are low percentage shots. So, um, I kind of want to just touch on that um, because that's really why Alabama has been dominated the way they have is because not only offensively, but they're turning their big time defensively um, from last year. And that's been the big disparity 
Um, so let's take a second, kind of look at the SEC standings right quick. Um, obviously, you have Alabama um, at the top, um, undefeated 6-0. and And what's crazy is the second team, Texas A&M. So nobody expected them to be undefeated, especially during the first five weeks. But obviously, I assume neither of y'all thinks that they're going to keep this up at all. No. I sure don't. Um, so, yeah, they've won. They've strung off seven straight wins. They're 5-0. and oh. You got Tennessee and Auburn at three and four. You kind of expect that um, at five and one. And then it just kind of – you got a big jumbled mess um, after that. You got Georgia, Missouri, Kentucky, Florida, all with three wins. And then I don't even think we have to talk about everybody below that bandy on the miss, old mess. But, Matt, kind of how do you think the SEC is going to shape up? You know, the top four is the most talked about. Um, so, kind of who do you see as the top four finishers um, based on what you saw? Because I think six games, that's, that's a third of the way through. I feel like that's a good enough sample size to kind of get an idea of who each team is. So who do you kind of think that's going to finish in the top four? Yeah. Well, first I think it's pretty clearly an Alabama Tennessee race for that top spot. Um, and Bama's got a pretty couple different three game stretches that are pretty tough on the back end of that schedule after um, we head to Oklahoma for the big 12 challenge next weekend. So that's not super favorable considering Tennessee's is a little bit easier. Um, but they've still got some tough games. Then they go to Auburn and to Kentucky, who they lost to. Um, but it's a two-team race. One of those two teams is going to win the conference. After that, I think you're looking at Auburn probably in that third spot. For that fourth spot, I think it's kind of anyone's guess. Um, part of me wants to go with Kentucky because I think they've just got the talent that they're going to figure it out. They're not going to miss the tournament. They're, they're not going to be seventh in the SEC when it's all said and done. Um, I, I don't trust AM. I don't think that they're the team that they appear to be through five games of conference play for them by beating up on Florida, who's a lot worse than I expected. Um, I don't trust Georgia at this point. I don't think they've beat anyone good outside of Auburn, um, who struggles to score on the road. Um, so I, I would say probably Kentucky. I think without Nick Smith in the picture and not really knowing when he's for sure going to be back, it's kind of hard to judge what Arkansas can really be the rest of this year. If he comes back and he's himself, Arkansas could absolutely be the fourth or fifth best team in the conference when it's all said and done. When you start out one and five, it's hard to make up that much ground. Um, so I'll go with Bama, Tennessee, Auburn, and Kentucky probably in that order for my top four. Yeah, I agree with Matt. I mean, the SEC has kind of been disappointing um, based off kind of, you know, I know Arkansas has dealt with injuries and, um, you know, but, you know, Mississippi State kind of got off to a phantom start. I think everybody could see that they were not um, what their record said they were. Um, there's just a lot of teams that struggle to score. Um, you know, I think when you look at Kentucky, you know, a lot's been made of, you know, Calipari's offense and being outdated. And, you know, while that is true, you know, they're still sitting 20th in offense, offensive efficiency right now, um, mostly because they have Oscar Sheeway and he can just get every single miss um, and put it back in. But, you know, I think with him doing his thing and, you know, I don't think um, 
one thing that Cal's always going to have is a really good defense. And, you know, that's where they've really struggled. Um, you know, you kind of saw Oates lay out the blueprint for how to play Oscar off the court in the Alabama-Kentucky game. Um, and so I think that's kind of been a struggle for him. Um, but, yeah, I think Kentucky's going to work out some of their defensive issues. And just between that and having Oscar on the court, you know, who's – you know, one of the better players in the country, I think that's going to be enough for them to get a buy in the SEC tournament. Um, you know, I'm still, I would still like to see, you know, Auburn against how they would, how they fare against, you know, the top of the conference with Alabama and Tennessee. Um, you know, but even with Tennessee, I struggle to see like them as a second weekend team sometimes because their offense, like you saw it in the Mississippi State game this week. Um, I think they had six points, you know, 10 minutes into the game. Um, so they really struggle to score sometimes as well. But, I mean, they have the best defense in the country, so they can afford to. Um, but, you know, like Matt said, I think it's a two-horse race for the ones, for the first seed in the SEC. Um, I do think Alabama is in a tier of its own ahead of Tennessee. Um, I would put Tennessee in that second tier. Um, Kentucky and Auburn in the third tier. And then the fourth tier is, like Matt said, it's just a, it's a mess of, you know, Florida, Missouri. Um, you know, Georgia has their night. Um, Arkansas is eventually probably going to clean things up. Um, you know, it doesn't look like Nick Smith's going to be back. Um, that's a huge blow for them, but they've got too much talent um, compared to how the rest of the league is playing, um, you know, to finish in the bottom half. So um, I'm not sure how their schedule shakes out. But, yeah, I think that's kind of through six games of the conference. I think it's kind of clear it's kind of four teams and a lot of uh, – a lot of mess at the bottom, but um, yeah, I'll be interested to see. It's it's a it's a year where the buy having that buy is going to be um, really important because of how big of a distinction that is um, from four to five. Yeah, I think the top four will play itself out being Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, and Kentucky because I think Kentucky is going to make a resurgence. Um, they're looking better. They're still struggling. You can tell something's off, but I think they're starting to work out some of their lineup kinks um severe wheeler as good as he is they're better without him on the floor i feel like the ball moves a lot better um you know he's a good scorer but i feel like the lineups just it just flows better and they always seem to make runs when he's on the bench um but yeah joe lenardi i just looked has alabama or alabama has sec with five teams in right now with kentucky just missing um, which Lenardi has Missouri in, which I, I think they'll end up playing themselves out of it. Um, I mean, they're a nine seed right there on the cusp already. Um, I just don't think they're going to have the wins unless they beat Alabama and they beat Tennessee or something down the stretch. So you're looking at probably a four to five team bid league, um, unless a couple teams kind of come out of nowhere if A&M somehow keeps it up and finishes top four something like that. Um, you're looking at probably a four to five, so link closer to five bid league um, for the SEC. But it's definitely something's weird with it, looking at a lot of the teams. Um, you know, the bottom four or five were expected to be bad, like the Mississippi schools, South Carolina, um, even getting Gigi Jackson, their roster is a, a nightmare. Um, it's just not very good. And then Vanderbilt wasn't expected to be good either. Um, but you thought it would probably be deeper one through seven, one through eight. Um, but it just hasn't been so far. But there's still two court, two thirds of the season to play through, um, and Alabama's sitting pretty. I think I looked at 
Warren Nolan, you know, where they, they have the team sheets and everything. They had the predictive records for the SEC. Um, and they had Alabama finishing 16 and one or 16 and two, I believe. Um, I can't remember what the record was. They had like one or two losses finishing first, but they had Auburn and Tennessee neck and neck tied for second. So, and then Kentucky fourth. So that's about where I, I see it probably playing out. Um, let's touch on the roster a little bit. Kind of let's look at some of the players. Um, I know Jackson, you were wanting to touch on this. Um, tell me some players that you see outside of Brandon Miller, because he's on another level. Who's two or three players that you see improvement on going through the, you know, going through the season so far? It could be going from non-conference to SEC that you just see a, a switch flipped or just progressively throughout the season. But who have you seen that's been really on the rise for Alabama? Yeah, I kind of touched on Bradley earlier, but one guy who I think doesn't get nearly enough credit, you know, I think Miller obviously gets the most and Clowney gets talked about a lot as a prospect. But one guy that I don't think is getting enough credit for how good Alabama has been is Mark Sears. Because, I mean, you think about it coming into the season, um, we weren't sure when Quinterly was going to come back. Um, you know, Bradley's a true freshman. Um you know, some other guards and wings or freshmen. Um, it was just kind of an unknown at the at the guard, you know, in, in the guard spot. And Sears just kind of stepped right in. And, you know, I expected him to kind of be just like, a, you know, a guy that can hit a shot and, you know, be a, be a secondary creator. But he just really, like, took over where he can play the one and he can play off the ball. Um, and I think even Oates said it the other day is like, you know, we, we knew he was good, but we really weren't expecting him to be this good. I mean, you know, a guy that goes for 26 on the road at Arkansas, um, I've just been really um, just really surprised by the way that he shot the ball, you know, how good of a decision maker he's been. Um, he gets his teammates involved. Um, he's got, he's got a lot of dog in him. I mean, there's sometimes every, um, you know, I know Matt will know the, it's RJ Barrett time meme like I feel like he has that in him a little bit every game or there's a couple of possessions where it's like all right, all right Mark let's uh let's pass to somebody else but I kind of like that though because he gets that confidence and he gets rolling um so I think he's I think he's a big reason my Alabama's in the position that they're in because like we talked about you know Quinterly coming off an ACL as quick as he did like it was going to take him some time Bradley's a freshman like he needed um some time to fill things out so Sears has been um really just like a stabilizing force and he's for, he's been a shooter that they really need you know I mean Quinterly's a streaky shooter um, Bradley doesn't shoot at all um, you know so if you think about it like as good of a shooting team as Alabama is like they've really needed Mark Sears to you know kind of carry the load behind um, Brandon Miller in that regard but outside of him I think um, I think Betty Ako has mm -hmm. been unbelievable as a defender um, he's getting so much more mobile um, as a role man and pick and rolls. He's finishing very well. Um, you know, I think it was the North Carolina marathon game that he kind of had his best game of the season. And ever since then, like he's easy to forget, but he's been an unbelievable offensive rebounder. Like he's kind of leading the charge in that, like as good of an offensive rebounding team as Alabama is like he's creating a lot of second chance um, shots for Alabama. Um, and like I said, he's finishing really well. He looks more athletic. He looks more comfortable on the offensive end of the court, and we know how good he is at um, defending the rim. So those are two guys that I think need to be getting a little more credit um, for Alabama's success um, behind, obviously, Brandon and Noah and the rest. 
he's wanting to uh, start taking over games. He's, he's building up his confidence, taking over games offensively, wanting to, you know, get in on the three-point barrage last game. And then he, he wanted to uh, start doing his Euros in the open court. Like, he's wanting to – like, you, you have to admire what he's doing, like trying to do. Like, he's wanting to make plays. Like, he's not afraid, any, like, to do it. And you have to respect it. And he he's been he's been dang good cleaning up being the uh um you know the drive alley oop anchor that you need um on offense because if you have a guy that can finish elite percentages around the rim, um it just makes your offense that much better. But uh, Matt, anybody you have that you kind of want to touch on on the roster that's kind of um impressed you. Yeah, I think Mark and Chuck were my main two. Um, and just another area where Mark's really surprised me and I've seen him grown is on the defensive end, um, especially just the way he's pesky. Like, especially in that Kentucky game, you would see Shibway come down with the ball down low and Mark's right behind him digging. He's coming from behind. He's coming from in front of him. He's getting his hands on the ball and he's just tough. Um, so having a, a small point guard who's not afraid to go dig on bigs and he's not afraid to go get physical and try to get boards and try to draw contact to get to the free throw line. He's just a tough kid who's really embraces natives culture. Um, so he was one that I would definitely touch on. And I think Charles has been awesome this year. Um, like Jackson said, that North Carolina game, I mean, he was, he just shined. He was the best big on the court when Armando Baycott was on the floor. Um, and there was a stretch where I know in that game where Alabama fans got a little frustrated because Baycott was getting boards but it was mainly because our guards were letting Caleb Love get to the rim whenever he wanted. So Charles is helping off and it's getting Baycott weak side rebounds. Charles has been fantastic ever since then. He's been great on the boards. He's been great protecting the rim. Um, like you said, he's has these weird Steph Curry layups that he's doing now. Um, I'm not sure what's up with that. Um, instead of just dunking it, he's throwing it as high up in the air as he can and finding a way to finish it. Uh, but he's been fantastic. It looked like Jaden Bradley, too, was starting to hit a little bit of a freshman wall the last few games, and he's really come back to life, which is really big for Alabama. Um, he's always been a phenomenal defender, um, but he's really generating a lot of rim pressure now. He generated a ton against Arkansas. It just wasn't really finishing around the rim. You're starting to see him improve that a little bit the last couple games, and that's huge for Alabama to continue to get Brandon open from three, Mark open from three, Namari as he gets worked back in once he comes back. So th those were the main three that I've really been impressed with outside of Brandon and Noah who are getting the most draft love. These are really important college players who are making a huge impact on winning for arguably the best team in the country right now. Yeah, those, those guys are guys that I kind of keen in on uh, watching games. You know, it's so easy to just get drawn in by Brandon Miller or Noah Clowney, but you want to watch these guys that are, I mean, Chuck's only a sophomore. I mean, you have to remember he is still young. Jaden Bradley's a fresh. I mean, just watching these guys grow up um, is really fun too. And just kind of see how they move and how they, how they operate on the court and just see different things that they're learning to pick up on as the season goes on. Um, but two things I wanted to kind of touch on that I've seen just looking at per game stats. Um, Jackson touched on it that, Brandon and Mark are like the two elite three-point shooters that Alabama has. Uh, they're both shooting over 40%. Brandon shooting an absurd 46%, um, which I keep saying that's going to fall off, that's going to fall off, and it's just not. So maybe that's just 
he's going to be between 42 to 44 percent for the season. Uh, but the rest of the team is kind of lackluster. Um, as many threes as they shoot, you know, Jaden doesn't shoot much, but he's 33 percent. Namari's more of the shooter. So is Javon, and they're both 34 percent. And then Gurley and um, Griffin are both around 26, 27 percent. So you're really seeing an Alabama team that has a lot higher ceiling than they're showing because the rest of the team's just not shooting well. Um, they have spurts where they hit them, but overall, outside of two players, they're kind of an average to blow average three point shooting team um, as a whole, if you take out those two guys. But, you know, that just shows that Alabama's ceiling is just incredibly high, that there's so much more room to grow. And you get Namari Burnett back, who um, has the potential to be a, a not down shooter. Uh, Rylan Griffin's one guy that I think that will be a second half warrior um, in the SEC slate. I think he's starting – you see him just launching threes. He never sees a three that he doesn't like. Um, I think once he gets his confidence down um, defensively and he starts getting more minutes up, he's going to start hitting some big shots down the stretch for Alabama. He He's going to be needed because look at the second thing I wanted to look at was you got two guys, Brandon and Mark, the two best players on the team averaging over 30 minutes a game. Nobody else is averaging over 24. So you've got a deep team that's playing, you know, 10 deep with one guy out now. And then you just added Dominic Welch in to where you're going to keep guys fresh all year. And, you know, how in the past couple of years that you've seen, you know, last year in particular, where you've had to rely so much on five to seven guys, five to six guys, and they just hit that wall midseason after a tough non-conference stretch, and they just collapse at the end of SEC play, you're not going to see that this year, I don't think, because they're all going to be fresh because they're just – Nate rotates them in all the time. It just seems like every time I look up after a dead ball, it's new personnel in, and he's he's being really smart with it. So that's really two things I wanted to kind of touch on that I saw that are really going to not only raise the ceiling of this team, but it's also going to keep this team going and fresh going into March. Um, so really, that's all we had to cover today on um, the Double Dribble podcast. It, it was really, really fun, gentlemen. Um, I can't wait for the next time. Um, Jackson, loved having you again for the first time since April 22nd of 2020. Uh, look forward to having you on um, moving forward. And hopefully we can have all three of us on um, more times than not going forward. So guys, um, Again, thank you, and thank you all who's listening to the Double Dribble Podcast. Subscribe um, wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And until next time, this is Jordan Harper on the Double Dribble Podcast. Adios.